Hello everyone, it's Wednesday, April 10th, and you're listening to Pi Cubed, the podcast about science, technology, and anything else we find interesting. I'm your host, Francesco Buziello. Joining me today, as usual, is Salman Siddiqui. Hey Salman. Yo, what's, what's up? What's up? Uh, let's start with just quickly mentioning bitcoins once again, because oh. it's gone crazy. Just shooting through the roof, is was the, they've... Um... Well, they've uh, gone through $200 for a Bitcoin now? Yeah, well, it's $250 per Bitcoin. When Last time we, we talked to you guys, which was two weeks ago, uh, there were $70. It's insane. Now $250, which is crazy. So if you if you invested $1 in Bitcoins the moment they came out, uh, and you could have got 1,300 Bitcoins, now you would have about $350,000, which is a pretty good return on investment. That's a pretty high return. What do you think? Yeah, even if even if you invested two weeks ago, you would have got back quite a bit. Yes, yeah, it's gone up tenfold, right? Yeah. $25 uh, three or four weeks ago. Yeah, so I'm quite disappointed that I did not invest in Bitcoin, even though we talked about them at length on the podcast. Uh, oh, well. Oh, it's, easy to, it's easy to see it now uh, than, you know, mm. back then. Yeah, uh, the benefit of hindsight, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you've heard a really nice story for the um, for the blog. Yeah, it's about bitcoins again. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so just... if you if you want to know more, you listen to this, you should check out the blog, pycube.co.uk, and you'll find it on the front page. Among other stuff about maths and um, coffee, uh, coffee viruses coffee. and viruses. Yeah, very popular story, but how we're all going to die people like that stuff that we're all going to die for some reason let's move on to our first topic and we're going to start with technology because we never talk about technology even though we are a podcast about science and technology I think and we talk a lot about technology do we? yeah uh, we've always talked maybe, about maybe okay uh, we talk about the leap motion right? what's it called? let me check yes leap motion uh, which is like um like a Kinect, but for your computer. And if you, if you guys don't know what a Kinect is, it's a, it's a motion sensor basically. And for your Xbox, for your Xbox to play video games. But this one is to work with your computer or to play with your computer. Well, the main difference is Microsoft has really tried to, I'm sorry, tried to um, lock access to to how it works, and they've. Um, uh, whereas uh, 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 the Leap Motion is going to be open source, right? Well, I don't know if it's open source, but it's definitely more accessible. They don't limit who can develop stuff for it and yeah. the, how easy it is to access it. That's the whole point. So the idea is that uh, you can use your fingers and you can swipe with your fingers or you can paint with your fingers or you can manipulate objects with your fingers. and 100 times more accurate than uh, the connectors. And it's only like $70, which is much cheaper. Yeah, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I remember reading in the nineties, um, you know, in uh, Future Science magazines, like one day you're gonna be inside the computer and manipulate the three D model with your hands, and now you can, which is cool. I mean, I guess the next step is uh, is to pair with the Oculus Rift. You know what? That, you know what it is? Someone? Enlighten me. It's um, you know those really bad uh, virtual reality stuff you had at uh, at the Trocadero. Yeah, yeah. Right? It was like when it used to be there. When it used to be there, and you used to wear this big headset, and you would have a really, really low resolution game played to you in three D, 
and you could like move around and turn and and the camera would follow the movement of your head and the oculus rift is this um this accessory for playing video games which uh, is made by the guy who made doom i think okay uh, mark rain and basically it tracks your head so you wear it on your head it has a high resolution screens and so it's 3d because one for each eye and it just tracks your movement so if you're playing a first person shooter you can move your head and the camera will move with your head and etc or if you're playing uh like a simulation inside a car or inside a plane that kind of thing so i guess it would be cool if you could do both at the same time so you can manipulate objects and also cool. move around your head and i actually tried out something quite similar uh, to that um it was it was at my uh it was at my old uh um, university's visualization lab okay and they had this really um high tech i was up where you go inside and you've got and you're um and you're inside the and you're in the middle of three screens okay um and then you wear like a, um um then you wear um uh like a motion suit uh, no um a vr piece over your over your eyes okay and um and so you move around and there's some and there's some preloaded um like applications games uh environments okay and you can actually move around and like physically so so as you move your head everything's up in 3D and they use it to uh visualize proteins and um sort of um other other uh, like like uh, 3D objects that are really hard to visualize on a 2D screen I would imagine right yeah yeah so so it was used by a lot of the researchers but um it's pretty hard to uh to work with um for your average average our researcher so it needs a lot of specialized uh people. yeah so um collaboration was the name of the game over there okay. and so they needed people who were who were part of uh the visit other uh, sorry uh, the visualization lab okay over there to to work with the researchers to um develop these models and actually make them useful for the researchers to be able to use but they were also showcasing it there um for for your average person like me to just come and have a look and so like what you can do with this and sort of you know start to explore what the potential is but it's cool that it's being made for for home use now and yeah, it, well, like like similar technologies well the leap motion is just the uh, in- interactivity part but it um I mean, the video I showed you just now uh, showed someone playing Angry Birds, which you already do on your phone or on your TV. Actually, you can play Angry Birds on any single platform that exists. Okay. Because it's ported everywhere. I'm sure there's like a an Atari version uh, somewhere. Like, what would you particularly envisage using it for? Like myself. Uh, yeah. Could you I, see a potential a- application for it? I guess like maybe like photoshop apps and that kind of thing maybe it's easier to use the tools if you use your hands i have no idea i'm already pretty bad at using those applications so yeah well i guess um spending lots of hours on a touchpad or on a I'm using a mouse can't be too good for your wrists as well and stuff yeah, so I you get so you get all those uh our chronic injuries or like pains in your hands um which a lot of people who are especially people who spend all day working 
on, on a computer they they tend to get so maybe things like this where you're moving your hands around uh, making it look like something out of what was that movie again uh, minority report that's it oh the tom cruise one uh. apparently uh i people are saying that minority report was uh really good for designers of interfaces and also really bad because uh, uh, some of the things they do in the movie are actually possible and some of the things they do in, do in the movie is are not possible like uh, they just don't work okay uh, so people expect to be able to do that one day but some of the stuff is just not gonna work alright but well it's sci-fi so yeah that's the but, whole point uh, I mean, I, I use gestures on my touchpad, like using multiple fingers and swiping, that kind of thing. So I guess if you have uh, something that you can use your whole hand or both hands, I guess that will make yeah. uh, your workflow flow much better if you can just switch. I need to make it clear, like, like on uh, oh, for the listeners, that you're not actually touching anything. You're no, just, no. like, waving uh, your hands around in the air. It's just a, a sensor that sits on the table, and you move your hands on top of it, I think. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if it works very well. Like, I could imagine using it for, like, I don't know, CAD modeling where you can rotate um, images and sort of go into inside your model, making really in depth um, features. And maybe people who don't have hands or older people, I, I don't know. Who the, don't... Idea, the idea is that to make it more intuitive to use a computer, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. look how big the step forward was with, like, touchpads. With, like, uh, touchpads. I mean, uh, you mean touchscreens? Yeah. yeah um, what the iPhone did in sort the of, iPad. in sort of, like, switching to flicking things and rotating. And... That's true, but I, I think the the next step is, uh, is haptic feedback. Like, if you're just swiping your <laughs> okay. hands across the air, I mean, the, the, it would be cool if one day you can manipulate the 3D model and actually feel it. Like, and, and yeah, yeah. I think that would be cool. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Well, no, they are starting to make that happen. You do yeah, have our feedback um, screens, uh, yeah. Uh, screens and sort of um, uh, sensors that you can wear as well now. Yeah, but the thing is that you have to wear the and, sensor. And, um, and, like, I know that um, they're making. Uh, our training app applications for surgeons and stuff where you've got uh, um, a 3D model on screen and as you're moving your um, scalpel you can actually feel the resistance change um, as, as as you're moving it well it's obviously our connected to an external our device but but I mean these are the sort of our potentials um. yeah, but, but I don't disagree that they'll have um, a specific application it's just that for the general public, I I don't want to wear special gloves oh, sure. when I go to my computer, or like or put my hands in like a you know a jelly or something, <laughs> which changes hardness as I move my fingers around. It just doesn't doesn't look like something which could be very popular. Well, they're also exploring um, controlling uh, other points with just your brain as well. Yeah, they've been doing that for a while. Yeah, they're using people, people our neural. Who have uh, no. Uh, uh, they could not move their legs or arms or yeah. be paralyzed. They can they can do that. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, I guess uh, the new next step is jacking into the Matrix or, <laughs> or you know. Uh, have you have you read the, the Neuromancer? No. Okay, that was the first like uh, jacking into the internet, the computer and stuff, and it's a good book. Uh, but yeah, but uh, uh, what I was talking about, where they're using uh, your. Uh, 
um, neural impulses to sort of control um, your pointer and uh, and other other devices. Like that, obviously opens up a whole new branch of research there. And I mean, imagine if one day they can translate uh, your thoughts, right? Say, I have this song in my head which I wrote in my head, and I just have to plug in, <laughs> jack into the matrix, and the song is there. Or yeah. like or the object is there, or you've got a song which is in your head and you don't know what it is. Like you've just got it, like you've got a tune, and uh, so you can kind of upload it and uh, yeah. find out what it was with all these other online applications. Yeah, because I'm just getting now to the point where I can whistle something or play something in my head and actually be able to transcribe it, uh, and that took years of learning how to do that. And it would be cool if you, you know, if you could just when you're about to go to sleep, you always have all these crazy ideas that you always forget. It would be nice if you just check in and just save all of your ideas to a hard drive or something. That would be pretty cool. Well, that sort of... There are some other uh, studies that are, are going on in the last few years about about trying to record uh, um, like dreams and stuff as well. And... Um, uh, can't remember who who or where they're from but um but someone someone's doing it yeah but um from what i remember is that they is that they've had to go through lots of lots of images of whilst of whilst um people are awake and they found that it sort of uh, triggers specific um impulses in the brain um, in certain areas so you've got a specific pattern to it and then and then so they've built up this huge our database and when it comes to them whilst uh, uh, um, they're dreaming they've they've gone back and they've sort of translated those same impulses and they've tried to build up guess, what that so image was like, I guess it's an MRI scan or maybe what kind of or maybe like a, I can't remember impulse. to be honest so, so basically oh, what you're saying is that they they hook up the volunteers or whatever to a scanner I'm guessing either a, Electrical signal. Yeah, feed them lots of images and then you record what that, okay. uh, what sort of, um, what, what what the patterns were yes, from so their brain, and then they add, and then they go and find what the patterns were whilst they're dreaming. And uh, I mean, so the, the assumption is, say, uh, I'm looking at a butterfly, and that pattern is the same across humans, right? I'm sure it's a lot more complicated yeah, than probably. that, but um, basically, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a bit more about the human brain, which is a, which is a pretty cool subject. Uh, it named itself the human brain, if you think about it. Uh, <laughs> the brain called itself the brain. Um, but we'll talk about it more next week. Uh, just one thing, uh, been quite a lot of research into the brain, like the, in terms of funding. Obama just approved uh, $100 million for map of the brain, brain mapping. Yeah, well, um what was his quote? He said that um, we know more about the expanses of space than we do about the um, about about what's between your ears and the, not yeah. exa- not exactly in those words, but you're paraphrasing Obama. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's also like a the Human Brain Project, I think it's called, which is a European Union one, which is the funding is one billion euros or dollars, one billion something, which is ten times more than. Obama, so uh, ha. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what exactly are th- are they looking for when they're trying to map the brain? 
I guess it, we, it's just, I think the problem lies is that um, we have a brain, and to understand uh, a brain, you need something which is more complex than a brain, right? Because <laughs> you need something which is order of magnitude more complex to understand something which is less complex. So it's that's why we don't know anything about the brain just or not philosophical much. Philosophical here. <laughs> not philosophical. It's just you know. I mean, you can understand how a cell works, but you know, if you were if you had the ability of a cell, then you wouldn't be able to. Well, we'll go into this deeper next yeah, week. Next week, probably. Yeah. We're gonna get more more research into it. Welcome to the Astronomy Corner. Hi, Salman. How are you doing? What's with that weird, <laughs> freaky voice? I, I was trying to be mysterious, you know, after a still overly long uh, theme. Uh, let's talk about astronomy. Not a star. Astronomy. Yeah, not the song. Although that's a cool song. Right, so... It's a nexus of a crisis, right? Yes. Yes, keep referencing <laughs> something that no one will understand. Thanks, Alma. All right, so let's talk about the International Space Station. Yeah, um, the Stuff. Russian cosmonauts who got there in record time. Six hours. Which is... Less than two days, which is what it used to take them before. Yeah, which is, I'm thinking, I'm thinking how, how fast that is. It's insane. Well, it's not really that far. Like, in astronomical distance, it's pretty close. Okay, yeah, but... Um, Compared to how long it used to take uh, yeah. people to get up there. Because the difficulty is uh, is getting into the right orbit. Yeah. Getting up to about the right orbit doesn't take very long. It's just that um, what the thrusters on the, on the Soyuz capsule? Soyuz capsule, yeah. They, they slowly like change orbit and until yeah. they get to the right one. They didn't go any faster this time compared to before. It's just that they were well, more the, accurate, the, right? The technology has not changed. Uh, the only thing which has changed is the um, is the path they've taken. So the, uh, the scientists, the people on the ground in Michigan, the rocket scientists, rocket yeah. scientists, actual rocket scientists, they um, they calculated uh, a better way to do it, uh, like a faster way to do it. And it, before you used to take them uh, 34 complete orbits before they used to get from the orbit they get to from launch to the ISS <laughs> orbit. That was just four, right? No, just four. And I think the reason they also did that because Efficient, they, they, they no? tried doing it with the unmanned capsules. I think was it SpaceX which did it? I don't know. It was one of the capsules which went up recently, which did it in six hours. And so they, you know, now they're sure that no one's gonna die when they do it, so they did it, which is cool. Uh, you know, and I think that they're gonna do quantum experiments on the ISS as well. Elaborate. Well, they want to test um, quantum entanglement, which uh, which is when. Uh, it's Einstein called it uh, spooky action at a distance. So there's two particles uh, which are connected. Uh, okay. Changing the spin of one changes the spin of the other. And in theory, this uh, this information travels faster than the speed of light. And what they're doing is they're, they're sending one of these particles to the ISS and one of the particles on the ground, and they're going to test. All right, I see. I, I mean, it's one of the crazy quirks of uh, of a. Uh, of a quantum mechanics. Uh, yeah. Einstein really did not like 
quantum mechanics at all. Uh, what was his quote? God does not play dice. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And but um, also uh, in other news in astronomy this week, um, NASA is looking for cowboys. Yeah, space cowboys. Space cowboys. Tell me about space cowboys, someone. Do you want to be a space cowboy when you grow up? I want to be a Wild West cowboy. Uh, uh, be a bounty hunter. Bounty more. hunter. Yeah. Have you not watched Firefly? I think we had this conversation before. Yeah, we have. Let's yeah. not bother. Let's not go into yeah. that. So tell me about space cowboys. Well, um, NASA have just been given a new budget for, for 2014. Um, and they've been allocated $100 million to go and lasso an asteroid bring it into a closer orbit beyond the moon and um, the plan is that it is that they want um, humans to set foot on an asteroid by uh, 2025 so Bruce Willis and uh, Ben Affleck right well it's not to well it's not to save the world this time but it's um, but it's you know but you need rough and tumbled oil drillers to Never mind. They're not. Go- <laughs> it. It's not gonna hit the earth. Not a Michael that. Bay movie. Yeah, yes. yeah, yes. But okay. uh, but like yeah, um, uh, the whole point is that they want to bring the asteroid to a to a manageable distance near the earth and then and poke it and see what happens. And maybe learn something from what's on there and uh, like kinds of metals and. I have no idea at the moment because. I did read that um, people are saying that uh, life on Earth began with uh, an asteroid. Who knows? Yeah, because uh, uh, I mean, we could have bought um, some kind of our proteins. Yeah, on, because on there that what they're saying is that the the main molecule used uh, in our body to create energy, right? It's adenosine triphosphate (ATP). ATP. Yeah. Yeah, it's a phosphate-based molecule, and people are saying that. On Earth, the phosphate, uh, phosphorus would have been stuck in rocks and stuff. So people, you know, suggesting maybe an asteroid brought some phosphate on the way down, you know, and then seeded life as we know it. But these are all still just conjecture. By the way, it, uh, if you're a gym bro and you don't know what a- ATP is, you should definitely find out because it's what you're, um, I mean, it's what you're, uh, our, um, I mean, it's what you're trying to uh, uh, um, replenish when you're uh, 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 taking in um, creatine. And Is that what it does? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess you can, you can burn more energy more efficiently. Yeah. All right. Oxidized stuff. Moving on and still talking about NASA. Uh, because there was a NASA study uh, related to nuclear power. And someone tell me a bit more about this study you read a bit about this stuff right um, briefly had a look at it and it was um, it was uh, I think it was, it was a joint study between NASA and was it NCAR the National yeah. um, Center for Atmospheric Research based in um, Colorado USA okay so what did the study say um, they were trying to look at the number of deaths caused um, as a result of a, of a nuclear power compared to our traditional um, fuel for fossil fuels, right? yeah, our gas and coal and oil plants, and and um, up until then, no study had been conducted to see what the I- impact was um, per 
um, per the rate of um, of uh, was energy uh, production. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, I read a bit about it as well. Is the study is not the greatest study because they took one rate from one study and then they extrapolated over fifty years. Okay. So they just multiplied it. Okay. Uh, what what they're saying is that um, if the amount of power produced by nuclear power in the last 50 years would have been produced by standard fossil fuels like coal and uh, oil and you know gas power plants, uh, there would have been 1.8 million more deaths. And these deaths are also things that are directly and was indirectly linked to this. So I mean, they were taking into account the number of about coal miners that die, yeah, for like example, cancer and, rates and stuff, yeah, and the particles in the air, right? Yeah, and um, and they sort of concluded that that it in that respect, um, nuclear power has been a lot more safer, and um, Cause I think five thousand people have died because of nuclear power, right? Including uh, Chernobyl and uh, the workers and power plants, which are not very safe and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a People are calling it controversial because the general consensus is that nuclear power is really bad. Which, some parts I agree with, some parts I don't. But this also came during the same time, another story, uh, that one of the water pools in Fukushima uh, has been leaking. Yeah. Um, 120 tons of uh, heavy water, but just heavily radioactive water, has been leaking into the ground. Which, this is apparently not a result of the tsunami so it's just like the people who run Fukushima are really floor. bad <laughs> running a nuclear power plant which is too bad mm. yeah so in theory with newer generation power stations uh, this should not happen hey so what are the sort of Im- implications for for uh, like our future reactor designs and and um well, Where the, are they the, the idea of these pools is that they are they are lined with the plastic and you know other materials in little layers, and in theory they're supposed to be quite good at keeping the stuff inside. But obviously this did not happen in Fukushima, which again not going to help with the public opinion of uh, nuclear power. Even though I haven't really um, heard like the news and TV talk about it much. So now. do you know whether it's um leaking into some kind of water source or the water table or if it's just leaking into the ground I think just into the ground yeah still okay. not a good thing you don't want heavy water going down this so. I'm not sure if it's heavy water or just heavily radioactive water okay one or two yeah not good um, we've talked a lot about nuclear power in uh, three or four weeks ago now uh, but moving on to hydrogen yeah let's talk about hydrogen because you know we, we really care we, we about you know climate change and we also like watching TV and those two two things are linked. You might think that uh, doing the things you do every day you're not impacting the environment, but you are. Even listening to this podcast, I'm afraid to say, is you know is helping uh, along climate change, right? Because you're consuming electricity, which is produced in inefficient carbon-producing ways. Fortunately, so. A next step in uh, producing electricity is to use hydrogen. Uh, as a fuel and at the moment uh, there aren't very good ways to produce it the the main one is to take it from hydrocarbons so from you know from oil fossil fuels using a process called steam reforming or by using electrolysis 
which is you split uh, H2O into H and O with using electricity, which again is not a very uh, efficient way to create oxygen. Uh, but some researchers at uh, Virgin- Virginia, Tech. Virginia Tech, they found that they can uh, get hydrogen from plants. So tell me yeah. more about this. Some wood. Well, um, well, one of the main reasons why hydrogen's really being looked at is because um, when it's used as an energy source, the only byproduct is a uh, is a water, right? Yeah, because you oxidize it with oxygen and yeah. get H two O. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's how you get energy from uh, uh, from what's high from the hydrogen fuel cells that that are currently around. Um, yeah, again, they're not very used because hydrogen is not cheap or efficient to produce yet. But <laughs> what these um, researchers have found is that um, they can get hydrogen from plants. Yeah, well, um, uh, biology obviously isn't my strong point here, but um, they're no. looking at. Um, at something called called uh, xylose, yeah, which is uh, which um, which uh, compromises thirty percent of uh, of the cell membrane of a plant's wall. Yeah, cell membrane. Yeah, yeah. which is I guess it's a relative of cellulose. Must be another sugar-based compound. Like, you know more than me. Uh, yeah. Well, xylose, cellulose. It's probably that. And they've and they've had to try to, and so the researchers have have worked on this. On a certain enzyme that they've managed to configure, um, that makes a uh, that makes this enzyme eat into the into uh, uh, the membrane, uh, the xylose, yeah. Okay. And it releases hydrogen from there, and um, and this is what so much excitement is about: is that they've managed to do this far more cleanly than uh, than than uh, producing hydrogen has in the past. Yeah, uh, which is. Which is nice, but then again, uh, you know, ethanol was supposed to be the biofuel, right? But the fact it's that it's used in a lot of places at the moment, it is. But you still need to farm land to yeah. make it, so it's not. Well, like... in Brazil, it's very heavily used, isn't it? Well, because they have uh, huge the sugar, sugar cane yeah. production. Yeah, because you can use it in a diesel engine, if I'm not mistaken. With a bit of conversion. With a little bit of conversion, but not much. Um, but yeah, so you still need to devote fields to growing plants, which will then, you know, be used for hydrogen production. And another thing, just to point out, is that these researchers from Virginia Tech have claimed that this is uh, is that the energy efficiency of this process is more than a hundred percent. How? Um, meaning that they've managed to get more energy from the hydrogen than they've actually put into into extracting hydrogen because well, yeah, yeah. Well, it has to be yeah better than 100% but if, if it's 101% that's not very good it's basically is that there's a net energy gain yeah yeah uh, because other ways of producing hydrogen you actually need more energy to produce it than you would get from the hydrogen that you're producing uh, so it's um, a biological way of uh, of uh, producing hydrogen which which is new to me, so uh, and and it's obviously at its at its infancy in terms of research. But It'll take a long time before it gets used you know, in a if it ever way. does. But um, yeah, if it ever does, of course. Let's talk vaccines, Salman, and 
Well, now let's talk about the link, the link, quote unquote, between vaccines and autism. Well, I tried to click on it and I found it broken. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> I'm going to point it out. Uh, we're going to keep going. Though. Uh, right, so there was a study in the Journal of Pediatrics which said, as we all, I mean, hope everyone knew, uh, that the risk of autism is not increased by too many vaccines too soon. What? I know, crazy, right? There was no proven link before, and there still is no proven link between vaccines and autism. Is that a real link? Yes, the one you can click. <laughs> right, so uh, this was started, it started in, in the UK, I think. There was, uh, you know, um, newspapers who love to, especially some newspapers in the UK. Some, yeah. Some, let's not mention them by name because they don't deserve it. Who love to, you know, look at studies and just draw conclusions that can give the best possible headline. Carrots cure cancer and mobile phones give you cancer. Correlation does not cue. imply causation. But it's not just that. It's that sometimes studies are just made to propose that possible link, right? Say, oh, we did this and it looks like this could be caused by this, but we need more study into it because we don't know. And tabloids take it like oh this causes this and you should all not eat carrots anymore or you should eat more carrots or whatever which help a lot like uh, the public's view of scientists is like these crazy people who say crazy things because the only science which gets reported is the bad one well well we do up here don't we well we, tr we try we try uh, so yeah carrots cure cancer no they don't they also give me x-ray vision well, yeah, I, I really like this about carrots cure cancer because it was a big thing in the 80s that carrots cure cancer. And they did a study um, trying to prove this, right? Like a real clinical study, right? you know, double blind, randomly controlled, a good one. And they stopped it halfway because people who were consuming too many carrots were dying. <laughs> <laughs> like they, we don't really know. It's just that they had to stop the study because it was considered unethical. Because the people who were taking more beta carotene or whatever it was that they claimed cure cancer were dying off more rapidly at a st statistically significant rate. So people were dying, so they had to stop. You, you, know, you don't keep doing a study if you're killing people. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's like similar to what um, to things at, at the moment about, but you know, e eating healthily and like having non-processed and that's all this was it paleo stuff out there. Yeah, but let's talk about that in uh, maybe later. Well, I've got that episode. planned. Yeah, yeah, um, we have that planned. I'm looking into it. Mm. Yeah, but one third of parents, according to the study, and I think it's in the USA, uh, believe that vaccines cause autism. Well, it was over here that there was this big scare about MMR, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, and they, they and and they found a link uh, between MMR and uh, autism, and uh, and and that meant a lot of uh, parents um, uh, Stop stopped giving, giving yeah. what their kids MMR, and and it's within a certain um, social range they found as well because the number of sort of measles cases has been rising in. In very specific areas in yeah. it, 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 in the UK recently, and it's been a lot within sort of working class areas, and 
Uh, I mean, so, uh, if that says something about some readers, uh, no, just uh, uh, I guess people who don't have access to the right kind of education will yeah. believe. In the USA, it was Jenny McCarthy. You know that her? She, she's like a oh, playboy yeah. model or something. Uh, she was. She has this website about how vaccines cause autism, and she's always on TV saying vaccines cause autism. Okay, because she's a Playboy model, she's obviously an authority on this. And yes, yeah, that's a, that's the way it works in show business. If yeah. you if you're naked somewhere, then you probably have. Yeah, let's not go into that. Yeah, it's a shame because science is not hard to understand. The whole point of science is that simplify. Well, you just. Science are facts, and the, the facts get challenged by new ideas and new hypotheses, and you test these hypotheses, and then once you've proven them wrong or right, then you accept them. Sure, exploring the facts, okay, that can be the uh, the difficult bit, but but then once the facts are there, it, it shouldn't be. The study says there is no link, so there well, probably is no link. Vaccines have been around for a long time, and the rate of autism has not changed. I mean, it doesn't look like it's changed. It has increased because we diagnose it more, but we don't really know if it's changed. It's because, you know, people did not... It didn't exist as a diagnosis before. Uh, especially because psychological diagnoses, diagnoses are, are very subjective. Okay. Like if uh, you know, there's, there's this manual called the DSM, which psychologists have a conference and they write it, and that's how you decide what psychological illnesses are. It's not like you know, you have pneumonia, you have bacteria in your lungs, or you exhibit these symptoms. Is it's more like uh, if this person does this and if this person does this, then the person is ill, but there's not necessarily a very scientific process behind this. Summer, do you have the flu? Are you dying? Please don't infect me. Um, I've, I've been immunized. Okay. What I'm referring to is the, um, is the new bird flu, which is exciting. Another bird flu. Um, I'm sure like... Where did it fly to? Antiviral makers. I'm going to ignore your jokes from now on. Uh, uh, antiretroviral makers, uh, or antiviral makers, probably very happy right now. Uh, but there's been a few studies, uh, a few studies, a few cases of uh, human infection of H7N9, H7N9, which is a strain of H7, which is uh, usually uh, viruses that infect birds, but not exclusively, which is part of influenza A viruses, which are all the flu viruses, basically. And there's been a few cases in, in China. Uh, let me check. I have data there's been 24 cases so far and seven people have died what was it last time h h1n1 h1n1 which was the which was the last bird flu scare right no that was the swine flu scare okay yeah but it, it came from birds as well it, 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 the viruses do not have necessarily just one animal to go to sure yeah um, mutated from the yeah but last time was a bit scarier for the simple reason that h1n1 is uh, was a more modern strain of H1N1, which in the late 10s, that work, 1918 to 1920, after the First World War, killed 50 million people, which is quite a lot of people for a flu epidemic, for a pandemic. 
uh, and so people were a bit worried about uh, swine flu, which still killed over 6,000 people, which is not nice. Uh, but so far, the, the one in China has been contained. So uh, the officials are investigating about, not investigating, they're monitoring about 500 people which have been in close contact with the infected. And if they start developing symptoms of flu, then we start worrying. Because so far, all the cases have been of people that were in contact so what, with the infected were, animals. So what, they were like hugging chickens and... Yeah, just hugging chicken on the streets. And doing and other I, stuff. With using them. chicken farmers or people who sold chickens at the market and stuff. Okay. But yeah, so as long as the transmission is only from animal to human... Uh, and it's not airborne, I guess, like... Yeah. Okay. That's... It's not fine, but it don't it's... It's safer. Much, don't have to worry about it that much, unless you work with chickens. Living in the middle of London, you're not likely to encounter, like, chickens. Very unlikely. Uh, uh, but if it does go from human to human, that's dangerous because uh, flu pandemics, which is you know uh, very we widespread, we haven't uh, had like I mean in terms of when was the last flu pandemic? It like international flu pandemic. Uh, the major. The, one. the biggest one was the one I talked about before. I think there was one after the Second World War, but I can't remember. We, we can look it up in a minute. But um, the problem is that you know if you get the human flu or I get the human flu. It might be a new strain, but we're still partly immune to it. Uh, it doesn't spread as quickly, uh, and it doesn't, the symptoms are not that, you know, strong. You don't, you don't die from it, usually, unless you're very old, or if you're uh, very young. But because it's, it's a, a strain from, which usually infects birds, humans are not very resistant to it, which means that you're much more likely to be contagious and you're much more likely to die from it or be really sick. But so far, this this has not happened, so we sh shouldn't worry too much, even though we've talked about it for five minutes. Uh, but I, I read something about this. It's on the blog. That's as usual, pycube.co.uk. Uh, you, you just looked up some stats, didn't you? Yeah, um, well, the, uh, the Spanish flu, which you were talking about back in 1918, it, it killed 50 million people. Yeah, 50 million. Yeah. Um, the other flu pandemic since then, um, there's one called the Asian flu, another one called the Hong Kong flu, another called the Russian flu, which they all seem to have a certain Eastern theme there. But I mean, uh, I, I think it's, it's a, they only uh, kill they okay only in I mean quotation marks um, one to two million people each, which is still a lot, but um, still not but significant. Not, yeah, so and. Um, uh, swine flu compared to that, which was back in two thousand and nine, was minor. It was minor compared to any of that, yeah, which which just which just affected um, roughly twenty thousand people. Yeah, worldwide. It still killed about one third of those, one fourth. Yeah, six thousand people. And um, most of them, well, well, three of these have all been strains of H one N one within the last century. Yeah, that's the, that's why they were really worried about swine flu because it was the same one. And some some people believe that uh, these viruses are manufactured by people. Yeah, was it the other drug companies out there and um, and the World Health Organization? Which, if you if you believe that the world is really evil, maybe Doctor Evil out there is just, conducting everything. The fact is that sure you can sell antivirals, but if a pandemic does happen, the people at the company are not immune. 
right? Why well, you... they would be because they have the vaccination. Well, if you read all these, um, I, I'm, I'm right. was it watch all these films? They have vaccinations, but they don't give them to us because yeah. Yeah, the New World Order and the Illuminati are controlling. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> just no. Uh, thinking that you know, bad, big pharma is bad in many ways, but to actively think that they're yeah, synthesizing viruses in a lab is that's just crazy. Hey man, companies like Monsanto want to want <sighs> to kill everyone. <laughs> I remember reading about this a while, right? Uh, the whole Indian farmers Monsanto thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Monsanto is making Indian farmers kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. And there was a uh, this big, uh, you know, alternative uh, uh, blog which was like. Oh, they've killed twenty-four thousand farmers, or in the last ten years, fifteen years. And then you go look at uh, suicide statistics in India, and then you go and calculate it, and you realize that it's not significant. Uh, no, it's like the suicide rate is way higher in the general population than for farmers in India. So if Monsanto is doing anything, they're actually reducing the suicide rate. Of course, correlation does not imply causation, but it's a big bugbear of mine. Uh, but people people complain that uh, you know, well, farmers people have in to the buy US. seeds. Yeah, right? that was the thing. Like, they, oh, you use them, and then you have to buy seeds. But if you know anything, they're pretty aggressive. From from what I've heard, uh, in terms of um, if if you have any if you have any leftover seeds, you're not allowed to use them that year because. They have very strict rules controlling what seeds you use, um, what year, and um, otherwise they can't sell you as many the following year. So they, so they've been uh, reported cases that they send their own spies and investigators over to okay. farms to sort of make sure that the farmers they're using the specific number of seeds that they're told to use. Otherwise, they can be levied with heavy lawsuits from yeah. from Monsanto. See that I don't I don't agree with, but the fact is that um, if you know anything about agriculture, you never use your own seeds, or very rarely, because a bunch, like most of the things you eat, like apples, like if you eat Granny Smith apples, they are all genetically identical, because in different generations, generation apples are very very different. So if you plant seeds from an apple that you, you grew, like if you plant a Granny Smith seed, the apple you will get in the next tree will be completely different. It will be nothing like it. So, you know, if, if you were to plant uh, something in your garden, would you grow your own seeds? You would just go and buy them. It's just easier. It's just more efficient than to grow your own seeds. But of course, there's also all those, you know, practices that you were talking about, which are definitely not nice. Especially when you're exploiting, you know, yeah. Uh, if you're, they're you're, a business. They 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 want to be the what the biggest company in the world, and they want to make more money than anyone else does. So, of, so of course they have their own. All businesses are like that. Yeah, uh, they're not evil. They're therefore in, in the sense e that they have to make money. Yeah, if what they, it's all about economical gains for them rather than. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the the Monsanto issue in developing uh, countries is not black and white. I mean, Monsanto's one of the most hated companies in the entire world, so... Uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty yeah. bad but, as any big companies, but they're not, 
you know, they're not they're the bad guys and everyone else is not or they're the evil company and the other companies are not evil they're all evil in the same way that they want to make money mm. so I wanted to start taking pictures again because I have a decent camera uh, it's five years old now uh, what is it for all those camera geeks out it's there it's a D60 Nikon D60 okay it was the entry level camera do you have all the so, you, so, 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 so have you got all the sort of range of lenses and I, the, that, that, that's the thing I and the flash have, gun and I only have a kit lens like the one the thing which do you have an external it. flash no okay but you don't want to use flash anyway unless you're photographing like people outside nightclubs I don't know. Uh, what what kind of uh, photography I like are you into, and um, what do you need? I really want to do uh, portraits. Like I'm not really interested in landscape stuff or that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm looking into prime lenses, which are lenses with, with a very uh, high aperture or a very low f-stop um, measure aperture. You got to explain these terms yeah, to me. Yeah, I'm gonna explain it in a minute. Because you know when you look at a picture. Like of a, usually a, a really good picture of a portrait, you have you know salmon in very good focus, and then the background is really blurred out. Mm -hmm. The background blurred out is called bokeh effect, which is very nice, especially if you have uh, like light sources in the background because they become very out of focus and smooth and it's very cool. And this is a f function of aperture. So what the aperture is is when you take a picture. Right, there's light going through the lenses to the sensor or back in the day to the film. And what the aperture is, what you have in a camera when you when you press the shutter, is you have a series of blade blades that cut across in front of the lens and only leave a small amount open for the light to go through. And a big aperture means that there's much more of the lens exposed to light than if you have a small aperture. So more light coming through. So if you have like really really small aperture it's like a pinhole. Yeah. If you have a very big aperture, it's almost like this. Just all of the light is going through the whole lens. And what this does is because light converges, like it follows a path which converges to the to the sensor or to the film. If you have a very wide one, there's only a very specific uh, angle of light which can go through. So if I put you in focus, you will be the only thing which is in focus because that's the only light which can be in focus with a high aperture. If a pinhole, if you have a very small aperture, then you're going to have a very big depth of field because more light can converge onto the sensor. Okay. That's, that's a quick explanation of aperture. Maybe, maybe you, should, you should write something on the blog. It's quite interesting. And so uh, it's nice because if I take a picture of a portrait of someone or, you know, I take a picture of my, I don't know, my blade grinder or something, um, it looks nicer if because all of the attention is on the subject of the photo. Uh, so if you actually take, um, maybe you can do some experiments and put them on the blog, uh, two pictures, one with a, a very large depth of field and one with a very shallow depth of field of a person, the person will look better in the one with the shallow depth of field because all of the attention is on the person. Is it possible to get a picture where you have both the, uh, the foreground and the background in focus. Yeah, exactly. So if you have a very, uh, very good depth of field, so if you have a small aperture, then you okay. can do that. Okay. So I'm guessing that these lenses with a very small aperture are more expensive. No, than... actually, it depends. Uh, good glass is expensive anyway. Uh, usually, the really expensive lenses are 
and that you have really good materials like very good glass and you know very good transparency etc okay or they have a very uh long range uh like focus length which is a different thing which is you know how much you can zoom into something uh and you know uh, if you have a, a lens which can give you a focus length from you know a very wide angle to a very far away zoomed out uh, zoomed in place then the lens will be probably quite expensive because the lens will work differently in different uh, ranges so so don't uh, most photographers spend a lot more on lenses than they do on the actual camera yeah uh, you know we can talk about the megapixel myth in a minute uh, but yeah good glass is much more important of course, if you have a you know, terrible quality camera, then it won't matter. But if you have a decent uh, camera, even like an entry-level digital uh, SLR, single-lens reflex, then buying good lenses or renting good lenses, some, some places rent lenses, if, you, if you're if you go into like a, to E3 or some other convention and you want to shoot people playing video games or something, then you just rent it for a couple of days. It's really expensive. But yeah, lenses are very, very important. Okay. Because the light which goes through the lens is what gives you the picture. Cool. But going back to what you were saying before is, uh, is the, um, the megapixels, right? So yeah, um, I do have a little bugbear with people who just quote, like, man, this 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 new phone has 12 megapixels on its camera. It must have amazing pictures. Um, oh, tell me more about that because it is something that quite gets on my nerves. But... Well, it's it's very similar to how people buy um, speakers, and what they quote is not you know the frequency response which we were talking about before, yeah. uh, but uh, but the quote is how much power it has, which is not a useful <laughs> metric. I mean, it can be if you're how what it tells you basically um, is how loud it can get. Yeah, and if you're a club owner, sure you need like very powerful speakers, but if if all you know is the wattage of your your speaker that doesn't tell you much about the quality just how much voltage runs through it and how much power how much sound is coming out of it it's the same thing with megapixels it's like you can have a really high density sensor so you have a ton of pixels on a, on a photo but if the lenses are not very good then you're gonna get a not, not a very good picture which is why you know you if you take a Canon point and shoot uh, they're really good and if you take an iPhone they might have the same megapixels, but the the, cam- the Canon one will make a, take a much better picture. The lenses and the filters and the cameras, it's, yeah, it's completely it's different. Much more important. And another thing is that uh, megapixels are... They, are, Don't they, they, become... they confuse people. Okay. Because it's not a linear scale. Uh, it's Yeah, not... <laughs> that, that, that's another point. But... It's like if, if you double the megapixels, you don't double the size of the picture. I mean you do double the area of the pictures because the megapixels are uh, just a measure of how many vertical pixels you have ty- times the amount of horizontal pixels. So if you have a thousand vertical, a so thousand square horizontal is, yeah. is one megapixel, one, one million pixels. So to have twice that, so you have 2000 times 2000, it needs to be four megapixels, not two megapixels. If you have two megapixels, it's only 50% bigger in terms of one dimension. So, you know, uh, width or height so a difference between a 7 megapixel camera and an 8 megapixel camera is insignificant marginal yeah or even like between a 12 megapixel camera and a 16 megapixel camera 
doesn't really make much of a difference unless you're like printing billboards or like which very very big posters which is where the high high megapixels actually come in use I suppose you can buy like 25 30,000 pound cameras who have like 80 megapixels 100 megapixels okay which at that point they get close to um, film cameras because 35 millimeters like the, not my camera like the big 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 single lens reflex cameras uh, if you still use film those are still really high quality but for like you know home home purpose printing pictures you don't need that things no. all those megapixels become quite redundant right yeah just focus on uh, on the lenses and on the maker of the sensor more than the actual megapixels okay when you're buying a camera let's wrap things up we're almost running uh, on an hour now uh, which is a, I think it's a good length for our podcast we tend to ramble a bit too much around that time let's, let's say one hour 50 minutes uh, yeah, a, a it, bit it depends how much we talk about things I guess how much we're interested in the topics we're talking about but uh, we yeah. don't have a deadline do we so no uh, but if you guys like our podcast and you are subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher or another service uh, if you like it do give us a review give us a review or give us uh, a rating that's fine too mm. if you like it of course or even if you don't like it uh, maybe, maybe let us know why yeah let us know why just you go to our blog pycube.co.uk we update it every day now we have a ton of stories on that including uh, one about raspberry clouds which was quite popular you should have a look pretty pretty interesting you can get drunk on them can't you yeah <laughs> you go, go read the story and you'll uh, let us know if you like it I mean we appreciate comments uh, just leave us a comment on the on the blog um, anything else you want to say let's have you been playing anything still playing Red Dead Redemption yeah good go, bad uh, like nearly got to the end uh, been killed by grizzly bears a few times but it's a it's a humongous world uh, you can sort of ride around in and, uh, and I don't think I've explored all of it yet so yeah. so I'm getting through slowly and but I like the whole Wild West theme. So. Yeah, it's, it's just a really good game. Yeah, so so I've I decided when I grow up I want to be a bounty hunter. Okay, uh, yeah. I think you're a bit late. Like a couple hundred, <laughs> uh, even like hundred years ago, I've probably been too late. But, but yeah, I, I've been playing um, NBA 2K13, which is the first basketball game I've played since '99, I think. <laughs> yeah, NBA Live '99, and I'm actually. Uh, quite enjoying it uh, which I'm surprised uh, okay. I, I don't know anything about basketball which is makes it a bit difficult to play well, the last NBA game I played was probably a- NBA Street oh yeah uh, I, I've played like uh, NBA Jam but that's very arcadey it's not yeah. it's a simulation and I really, I'm really enjoying the, the player career okay. especially because I um, I made my character and also gave him a backstory and everything and just really role playing him and, uh, okay yeah my, my guy's name is called Bruce Kafka after the Kafka, Franz Kafka, the the writer, uh, he's German and he's the great grandson of uh, Franz Kafka, and he's nicknamed the Beast okay. because of uh, you know Franz Kafka's metamorphosis. Uh, short I have story. no idea, but anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I was. I'm enjoying playing role playing as Bruce. Also, Bruce is a cool name. I like Bruce. Okay. Well, well, uh, I was talking of Bruce's. Um, I I was really excited this morning when I found out that there's a that it's going to be a, a new Arkham game, a new Batman Arkham Batman game. game. Okay. Yeah, 
But then you told me that it's not by Rocksteady who made the last two Arkham games. Ar- Maybe it's still good. Arkham City. Arkham. Well, it's well, still Warner Brothers games. So they, they don't have a great track record anyway. Yeah, but they've, they've only been around for. Really, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I was excited to see Deathstroke in in the trailer. So. Okay. So Who's Deathstroke? Is that the Death- guy with the swords, right? De- Deathstroke's the uh, the master a- assassin, yeah, with the swords, and and he's more of um, a Green Arrow uh, uh, villain. But um, but yeah. but hey, I like I like having all the all the worlds of of the different characters mixing. Um, staying on a on a similar comic book theme, uh, DC have been doing this whole. They, they, um, they've been, well, they're gonna uh, release a game called Injustice, made by the same people as uh, the Mortal Kombat guys. Okay. So it, so oh, it, it's, it's the. So it basically looks like Mortal Kombat, but with all your sort of DC well, superheroes. Made, they've made this before, right? Yeah. The DC that, something. Yeah, our that was our DC versus Mortal Kombat, but this is just this, DC. Yeah, this is just our DC and. Um, so they've been doing this thing online where, where they like where they've been pitting all the characters a- against one another, and it, so 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 they've been oh, getting fans to vote for it, and they've been saying, who do you think will win? They should change the title to think, to basically, who do you like more between these two characters? Well, that's always the case, though. Yeah, because, I mean, right from the start you could tell who the two finalists would be which is being held this week by the way so you can vote it's, it's like the MTV Movie Awards where they ask people to uh, you know to vote for their favourite movie and Twilight always wins even though no Twilight movie came out last year uh, <laughs> just because people you know people who vote for that stuff you know popularity vote yeah so that's kind of a bug there of mine as well yeah. but um I, I, yeah. I would like to preface this that I don't know anything about comic books so for okay. all I know you could be saying completely random things okay but you can guess the two characters that got to the final. I'm gonna say Batman and Superman. <laughs> wow, you're right. Because <laughs> those are the only ones I know. Yeah, but I mean, Spider-Man. <laughs> well, well, it beats me how uh, how a human can I would defeat all these other mega charged superhero our characters that can run faster than the speed of sound, etc. But anyway, that's a uh, the best superhero is still Darkwing Duck, though. That's my favorite one. Okay. He's he's useless at everything, but the cartoon was funny, so he he gets my vote. If if I was voting for him in an election, I would vote for Darkwing Duck. Cool. All right, I think that that will do it for us this week. Uh, thank you, Salman, for uh, telling me about comic books and you know inform me of all this stuff. And thank you all for listening to us. Hopefully, you will listen to us again next week. And again, if you all listen to us on iTunes or whatever, give us a review or tell your friends and you know shout it from the top of a mountain how awesome our podcast is or if it's not still do that as well just do it anyway yeah, yeah. okay see you guys next week <laughs>